0: This morning we continue in our series entitled Our Journey with Jesus. Uh, We've been talking about some of the things that we can practice in our day-to-day lives that will move us in the direction of being more like Jesus. We've talked about letting go, uh, welcoming, uh, friending. Last week we talked about the need to, to rest. Uh, not to be lazy, not to avoid the work that God has given us to do, but to be better prepared, to, be, to p- better prepare ourselves for that work. Because if we choose to neglect rest, then we'll never be able to accomplish all that God intends for us to accomplish. Well, this morning I'll be talking about what I think is perhaps the most difficult of all the disciplines in this series, confessing. More specifically, confessing sin. I think we're all familiar with what John wrote in 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, where he said, If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now I'm sure we would all agree that confession of our sins is a necessary part of our spiritual growth. Uh, maybe you've heard that the that the greek word for confess is is homologeo homo which means the same and logeo which means rela- which is related to logos which means word or that which is spoken so homologeo means to say the same thing about something when we confess jesus christ we are saying the same thing about him that god says about him that He is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who died on the cross to take away our sins. And when we confess our sins, we're saying the same thing about our actions that God says. We're being honest and and admitting what we've done. Uh, We acknowledge that we've done something wrong. We've done something that offends God. And Scripture is clear that we all need to confess our sins to God. In fact, as the Apostle John said in the passage we we just read a moment ago there, we have to be willing to confess our sins or we won't be forgiven. But the scriptures also talk about the importance of confessing our sins to one another. For example, in James 5 verse 16, James said, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I think that's what we tend to get a little bit that's where we tend to get a, you know a little bit uncomfortable. You know if I were to say to you this morning uh, for the next several minutes, I want you to think about some ways that you have wronged God and I'd like for you to go to him silently in prayer and confess those sins and ask for his forgiveness, I doubt if any of you would have a problem with that. But if I were to say for the next several minutes, I'd like for you to think about some ways that you have wronged someone in this room or someone who is sitting close to you there, uh, someone you have hurt. And I want you to go over and to talk to them and confess your sins and, and ask for their forgiveness. I suspect that most of you would find that very difficult, you know, a very difficult thing to do. And it's not because you wouldn't be able to think of someone here that you've offended. The truth is that we often hurt one another. And it's not something that we mean to do, but we do it. We do things and we say things that are hurtful. But confessing our sins to one another is an uncomfortable thing for us to do because it's hard for us to say, Hey, I was wrong. Uh, I, I was wrong to do what I did. I was wrong to say what I said. I know it wasn't pleasing to God, and I know it was hurtful to you, and it wasn't a reflection of the follower of Jesus that I claimed to be. And so I want you to know that I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I mean, even with married couples, it can sometimes be difficult to say, I'm sorry, because our pride gets in the way, and no one wants to be the first one to give in. In his book, Pilgrim Heart, Daryl Tippins tells about a time when he and his wife were invited to a Yom Kippur service by a Jewish friend. Now, Yom Kippur, uh, you may know, is a Jewish holiday, which we perhaps know better as the Day of Atonement. But Daryl said the service was beautiful, but it was very different. And one thing that was especially different had to do with confession During Yom Kippur, Jews are encouraged to consider their sins against others in the community. And in fact, they're expected to go to members of the community and apologize for things that they have done wrong over the past year. And so at one point in this service, the rabbi did something that caught Daryl off guard. He asked everyone in the congregation to turn to somebody nearby and confess his or her wrongs and to ask forgiveness. Daryl said, I've been a Christian for many decades, but no minister or worship leader has ever been so bold as to ask me there in front of God and everybody to name my wrongdoing and to ask the forgiveness of someone in the next pew. We Christians, he says, preach the idea of confession. We read scriptures about confession, but we don't generally expect Christians to practice it at least not in such a public way. And so he sat there feeling very uncomfortable. I mean, what was he supposed to do while everybody else was confessing their sins? You know, he thought maybe since he was a Gentile and a visitor, maybe he wouldn't be expected to participate in this exercise. I mean, after all, he wasn't a member of this congregation and to his knowledge, he hadn't offended anyone in that room. But as he sat there wondering what he should do, his wife turned to him and with tears in her eyes, she asked him, would you forgive me for all of the ways in which I have hurt you through the years? And there was a part of Darrell that wanted to protest and to say, no, I'm the one who needs to ask your forgiveness. But he simply said, yes, I forgive you. And please forgive me too. And Daryl goes on to write, why did I have to go to a Jewish synagogue for such a moving experience of confession and forgiveness? That experience got me to thinking, what if Christians began to see each day and certainly each first day of the week as their day of atonement? What if Yom Kippur is the right idea, but we just need, more, uh, we, we just need it more often than once a year? What if Christians came to the assembly expecting to lay down their burdens, their griefs, their grievances before each other? What if they refused to go forward with their worship and their countless religious activities until they had made amends with their brothers and sisters in faith? Jesus taught us that if a brother or sister has a, comp- has a complaint against us, we are to leave our gift at the altar and be reconciled before we continue to worship. Could it be that our congregations are unnecessarily burdened by pain because we have failed to confess our faults to one another? There is a lot of truth in what he says. Because the disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who must have a confessional heart, a heart that is willing to face the truth, accept the truth, and tell the truth especially the truth about ourselves. Which is why the Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. Because the truth is, we have sinned. And it's not just that we used to be sinners, we are sinners. But there are so many pressures on us from society that tempt us to to soften the truth to spin the facts or, or to merely stay superficial. You know, for one thing, we live in a very competitive world. And so we're taught from a very early age, not to show weakness. I read a quote online this past week from a, uh, from a man who, who was, uh, claiming to, to be Mr. Mafioso, uh, which probably is a good indication that he's not a guy who's very open and honest with people. But this guy said, I was thinking, he said, I was thinking about the importance of never showing your weaknesses and how important it is to never, ever expose them to anyone, not even someone close to you. Anyone can use your weaknesses against you. Even family may know some small facet of your life that they can use against you when the time is right. And those who are closest to you are always the ones who inflict the most damage because you never expect, you never expect to hear from someone in the world. Put up front. Don't let anybody see the chinks in your armor. Uh, Don't let anybody see who you really are. And especially don't ever let them know about your weaknesses. The problem, though, is that we tend to bring that same kind of thinking into the church. We don't want anybody to hear, you know, we don't want anybody around us to see our weaknesses. We want to give the appearance that we have it all together and that we don't struggle with anything. And so, as a result, Christians tend not to confess sins to one another because we're all expected to look better than we really are. And in fact, it may well be that in the church, the church is the place where we are least likely to be honest about about our shortcomings. Uh, We're afraid of what people might think about us. Uh, The very assumption that we are righteous people and the expectation that we're supposed to be a righteous people makes it difficult for us to be open and honest and to confess our sins because we feel like we have an image to keep up. But Jesus had some very harsh words for those who put up a front and, and tried to impress people with their righteousness. And of course, I'm talking about the Pharisees. It's interesting that Jesus uh, was, was just as severe with those religious leaders who were trying to appear to be righteous as he was tender and encouraging to those who were honest about their lives. Even if they didn't have it all together on the outside because Jesus made it clear that he doesn't expect his followers to be perfect, but he does expect us to be honest. In fact, in his book, Not a Fan, Kyle Eidemann writes, Every week, I get a chance to sit down with people who are new to our church. Typically, we have two separate kinds of people. There are some who've been around the church and God for a good part of their lives. They know all the rules. They know what to say and how to say it. They know what words to include and what parts of their stories to leave out. They've learned to wear a mask. And then there are those who are new to Christ and the church. They haven't learned the rules yet and when they tell their story they'll include a marriage that fell apart because of their unfaithfulness. It's not uncommon for their stories to begin I've been sober for, and sometimes it's been years, and sometimes it's only been days. I've heard ex-cons talk about their crime. I've heard men talk about their pornography problem and women talk about credit card debt. Parents will talk about how much they're struggling with their kids. Many times a couple will say that their marriage is just barely hanging on. They'll tell about eating disorders, gambling problems, drug addictions. They just don't know any better and I hope nobody ever tells them that they're supposed to act like they've got it all together. You don't often get to see people without a mask. And it's such a beautiful thing, he writes. But that's what Jesus wants in a follower. Someone who isn't pretending on the outside to have it all together. And perhaps the worst thing that happens when we're not honest and when we hide our sins and our shortcomings is that it presents to those non-Christians who are on the outside an image of a church that is filled with Christians who are smug, arrogant, and hypocritical. In fact, the, the word that's probably most commonly associated with Christians in our society is that word hypocrite and we'd like to say that their judgment of us is unfair. But unless we're willing to be open and honest about who we are and what we've done, perhaps their assessment is more fair than we'd like to admit. And to that extent, we are more interested in maintaining our image than we are in confessing our sins. We will remain a stumbling block to those who might otherwise consider following Jesus if we don't open up to people. I heard years ago about something that happened at Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Uh, From what I understand, every year at the end of the school year, Reed College celebrates Ren Fair, which is short for Renaissance Fair. And Ren Fair is basically a time for the students to just cut loose, carouse, drink, get high, do whatever they want to do. About 15 years ago, there was a small group of Christians who met to talk about what they should do during Wren Fair. And after a lot of discussion, one of them made a proposal. He said, you know what, we ought to build a confession booth in the middle of campus and paint a sign on it that says, confess your sins. Now he was partly joking, but he was also partly serious. Because he knew that a lot of students would be sinning that weekend. And, and so they could be like John the Baptist and they could call people to confess their sins and, and to repent. And so this group of Christians, they talked about it and they were about to agree to do just that when one of them, a, a guy by the name of Tony, spoke up and said, you know what, I think, we, I, think, I think we need to do this, he said, but I think we need to make one change. We won't ask them to confess to us. We will confess our sins to them. Uh, we're going to confess that as followers of Jesus, we've not been very loving, uh, that we've been bitter and And for that, we are sorry and uh, we'll apologize, apologize for the Crusades and we'll apologize for televangelists and we'll apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely and we'll ask them to forgive us and we'll tell them that our selfishness, that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus on this campus. And so that's what they did. And as Ren Fair got started, students began to drift into into their confession booth. The first one in was a fellow by the name of Jake. And so Tony said to him, he said, welcome to the confession booth. This is where confessions are heard. But if it's okay with you, I would like to go first. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out especially and feel threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with politics, but I grew up doing that. I know that was wrong, and I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because of people like me who know him, uh, who, who carry our agendas into the conversation rather than just relaying the message that Christ wanted to get across. Please forgive me, he said. Please forgive us for the role we played in slavery and racism in the United States and around the world. Forgive us for the wars waged in God's name. Will you forgive us for the ways we communicate judgment, arrogance, and hatred every single day? Would you forgive me because I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but my life looks nothing like His? Jesus stood for love, generosity, and care for others. Mine doesn't. I am selfish, distracted, and dismissive. Will you please forgive me? And as you might expect, Jake was a bit taken aback by what he heard. And then he teared up and he said, it's all right, man. I forgive you. And over the course of the weekend, there were dozens of students who stepped into that booth. And these Christians confessed their sins to each one of them. And without exception, every one of those students offered them the gift of forgiveness. But then something else also happened. After hearing these Christians confess their sins, most of the students then opened up and began to talk about their pain, their addictions, abuse, regrets... Their shame, and they had a chance to talk about Jesus. You see, the interesting thing that happens when we drop our mask is not that others think less of us, which is what we're actually so afraid of. If anything, it causes people to think more of us. We tend to have a respect for those who are willing to be open and honest. And just like what happened on that college campus, our willingness to be open makes it easier for others to open up as well. And so let me close by giving you six reasons why confessing is an important discipline for us to practice as Christians. Uh, Number one, as I've already suggested, confession is essential to forgiveness. In Psalm 32, David talked about the need to be honest with God regarding the sin that he'd committed with Bathsheba. And David said there, uh, David said, he said, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. He says, All my guilt is gone. Which is really just kind of a living example of what I think John said in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Solomon said basically the same thing back in the book of Proverbs when when he said, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Confession of our sins is essential, because if we aren't willing to confess our sins, then God will not forgive us. Number two, confession unburdens the soul. You've probably heard the old saying, confession is good for the soul. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. And in fact, that saying has its roots in Psalm 32 where David was talking about his sin. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In Psalm 38, he said, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. And my guess is you all know exactly what David's talking about. Uh, when we've done something wrong and, and we refuse to admit it and we just try to keep it hidden, it becomes a burden that just gets heavier and heavier. Gordon McDonald has said, we cannot expect to live healthily in the future when the baggage of the past keeps banging away at the trapdoor of our minds, demanding attention. Confessing our sins freezes from the sense of guilt. It freezes from that burden, and it's like a huge weight is removed from our shoulders. And then number three, confession breaks the grip of of pride. You know one of the most difficult things that we all struggle with is pride. Pride has been referred to as the essence of all of our sins. In 1st John 2:16, John kind of summed up the temptations of the world with three phrases. He talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we all struggle with that pride. I mean, it's just part of our human nature to want to be well thought of by everyone around us. That's why we wear our masks. That's why we don't want anyone to know what we're really like. Because we care about what people think about us. Our pride gets in the way. But confession tears down the pride in our lives. Confession says, I am more interested in the truth of who I am Then I am in the image of who you think I am. And in the battle against pride that we we all fight, uh, confessing our sins helps us to win that battle. Fourthly, confession helps, helps us to prevent future sins. As I suggested earlier, it's much harder to confess our sins to one another than it is to confess our sins to God. And one of the reasons is that we have come face to face with that brother or sister from time to time. And so so we must treat that brother or sister, uh, we we must trust that brother or sister to, to have our best interest at heart and to not use that knowledge to hurt us. But the positive side of sharing with a brother or sister is that it creates this sense of accountability. Uh, We now have someone who knows about our struggle. And so they can be there to help us when we need it in the future. I mean, that's one of the core elements of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Every member of that group has another member they can call on when tempted. And once we're open and honest with other Christians, we have that same resource at our disposal. And then number five, confessing our sins to one another encourages the weak not to give up. You know, when you think about, when you think that you're the only one struggling, it is so easy to get discouraged. When we're together in in this assembly, uh, we're always doing religious things. And it's easy to get it in your head that everyone is just like this all week long. And you know that you're not. And so if you come to church and you think that everybody else has it all together and nobody else is struggling with what you're struggling with, then you can get discouraged. But as you begin to share some of your own struggles, it frees others to share their struggles, and you begin to realize that their life is just as a as big a mess as yours is, and they battle against Satan's temptations every day, just like you do. And you realize that other Christians lose some of those battles from time to time, just like you do. When you realize that we're all in this together, it's much easier to hang in there. And then number six, confessing our sins to each other brings us closer together. Let me repeat something I said a few weeks ago that I think is profound, uh, which will tell you that it came from somebody else and not from me. But we impress people with our strengths but we connect with people through our weaknesses. We connect with people through, we we can, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. It's when we are transparent. It's when we are vulnerable. It's when we drop that macho image and we say, here's what I'm going through. Uh, Here's what makes me afraid. Here's what I'm struggling with in my marriage. Here's the temptation that I can't seem to ever overcome. Here's what I can't stop worrying about. You can't help be closer to someone who has shared a piece of their lives, who has opened up those hidden spaces of their heart. And so as we are more and more honest with one another, we begin to draw closer together as a church. Well, as we wrap up this message this morning, I suppose what I ought to do really is to ask all of you to go someone there uh, to, to someone there in the room with you and confess your sins. But I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, even though there might be great value in it. And so I'll simply suggest that when the worship time is over, if there's someone here that you need to talk to, someone that you've offended and you need to make it right, I would encourage you to pull them off to the side and confess your sins. And I would like to think that this will become just a natural part of who we are as a church because a follower of Jesus Christ is someone who is willing to confess because more than anything else, we want to be truthful about our lives. And Father, may that be so. Father, would you help us to be open and transparent, one with the other, that we might encourage one another, that we might support one another. Father, that we might reflect the image of your son, Jesus Christ, into the lives of others. Father, may we be willing to confess our sins, not only to you, but one to the other, that therein we might find healing and hope, and strength, and that we might build together community. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes forgiveness possible. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.